me tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. to listen fast because there's a lot in the readings today. I just, oh, get comfortable because I don't know that this is going to be a short one because the two readings today are just, they're just chock full of interesting things. Uh, so that said, let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created, you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. Do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan, all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, let's open the big book on the co coffee table. This is great stuff. Let's look at the gospel first, because this always makes people crazy, this gospel. This is the one where Jesus, he's in the territory of the Gerasenes. He gets out of the boat. There's a possessed man hanging around in the tombs, and uh, they couldn't restrain him. And, and uh, uh, catching sight of Jesus from a distance, he ran up and prostrated himself, and he lay flat out before him. Crying out in a loud voice, What have you do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. He had been saying, Unclean spirit, come out of the man. And his name is Legion. There are many of us. Um and he pleaded earnest with earnestly with Jesus not to drive them. This legion of demons. A legion was what, it was a Roman um military group. I think it did it come to five thousand or six thousand if you include all the hangers on. Should have looked that up. Oh, maybe I'll make that the word of the day. Uh, it was just a large, large group of people, a Roman legion, and um, the demon is saying he's legion, a lot of them. And it's interesting. He says, "Don't drive us! Don't drive us away from the territory that they were in." Now, a large herd of swine was feeding there on the hillside. Send us into the swine. Let us enter them. And he did. And all 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned. What's going on here? Well, the region is very important. The territory. Don't drive us away from the territory. It was a Greek-speaking part of the Holy Land. A lot of people don't realize this, but the Holy Land, especially in the Northeast... On the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee and the Sea of Jordan, and some on the western side of the Jordan River, 
uh, had been heavily colonized by Greek speakers. Uh, these would have been uh, uh, Greek colonists who had intermarried with the local population. Uh, Syria was at the time was a very Greek place. Uh, Greek speak a lot of Greek speakers, Greek culture. You know that's why people when they say, "Well, Jesus was just a man of his times, and he wouldn't have called God mother, and he would have he wouldn't have ordained women." A few miles down the road from where Jesus grew up, there were temples with priestesses dedicated to mother goddesses. The The Holy Land was a very, very diverse place, even though it was very small. So this is a Greek territory. And it is possible, I would say even probable, that this huge herd of swine was a, a dedicated herd. We know that there was a, a special uh, flock of sheep in uh, Bethlehem that was that was existed uh, to to provide sacrificial lambs for the temple well this seems to have been a huge herd of swine uh, dedicated to uh, uh, pigs to be offered in the greek temples the greek gods not unlike myself really liked pork and um it was a reasonable <laughs> sacrifice didn't cost too much you know, you sacrifice a, a cow, a bull, an ox. That's a that's a pretty pricey thing. But a pig, eh, a piglet, and then some. Some of the food went to the the temple, which they sold in restaurants and butcher shops that were associated with the temples. Actually, they actually you could get a meal at some temples, uh, and and then the rest would be given to the sacrificer, and they would kind of have a barbecue back home. So. Uh, and have a feast in honor of the god or goddess. So that was how it worked. So this, the early Christians believed that, yes, the gods were real, and they were demons. They weren't gods, they were demons. And so this, this herd belonged to the devil already. This was the devil's property, in a sense. So... You know, this was not, they weren't, Jesus was not depriving some poor swine herds of their, of their, uh, livelihood. These would have been slaves who, who, uh, uh, were owned by the temple, employed by the temple, employed by someone. Uh, you see, pigs weren't kosher. So what are pigs doing in the Holy Land? They were in the Greek part of the Holy Land. Now, interestingly, Jesus says, uh, or, or the people say to Jesus, you've done a wonderful thing. Why don't you go away? <laughs> uh, um, that, that, uh, what's going on there? Well, uh, I've known many, I remember uh, a friend of mine who was an exorcist had the hardest time finding churches or rectories that would open themselves to his ministry. Because it was terrifying. I mean, when you encounter the real power of God, um, it can be terrifying. And you'll notice here also that the devil calls Jesus the son of the Most High God. I've shared this with you before. The devil is a wonderful theologian and has no problem uh, calling uh, Jesus the son of God. I do not think there is a place in the New Testament where the devil calls Jesus the son of man. Because you see, the devil is quite happy if if God will remain in heaven and mind his own business. The term son of man 
is about, it's from the book of Daniel. It's about a, a celestial being who comes from the very throne of God to earth uh, to, to bring about salvation. In other words, when Jesus calls him the son of man, he's claiming divinity, not humanity. Therein lies the reason the devil won't call him the son of man. The devil is very content to recognize Jesus as the son of God. He just wants him to mind his own business and stay in heaven. And that's what the devil wants of us. If we keep our religion in church, the world doesn't mind. But when we bring it to the marketplace, to the public square, to the voting booth, people get very upset, you know. And so just one more little thing about this. Uh, the man who was possessed pleaded to go with Jesus, and Jesus said, go home to your family. Jesus restored him to his family and to his responsibilities. You know, he said to the rich young man, leave everything you have and follow me. To this possessed man, this formerly possessed man, he said, go home, take care of your wife and kids. Jesus restored him to his property, whereas he said to the rich young man, give up your property. You see, whatever is enslaving you is what God wants to deliver you from. And God gave, the our Lord Jesus wanted the rich young man to have freedom from the possessions that enslaved him. He thought that he owned them, but the possessions owned the rich man. And he wanted to give the formerly demon-possessed man the freedom to live up to his responsibilities. So it's a wonderful passage. But now let's go to the story of Absalom's rebellion. And this is a fascinating thing that David is fleeing from Jerusalem. He's going up the Mount of Olives, weeping, his head covered, walking barefoot. And there is a man named Shimei, who was of the Saul's relative. Remember, David had replaced Saul. And Shimei is throwing stones at David and dirt and cursing him and you know, the, the uh, uh, Abishai, uh, one of the, the soldiers says, why should this dead dog curse my Lord? Let me go over and cut his head off. And why, why do you want to do that? David's saying, maybe Shimei is right. You know, he's saying, you're a man of violence and bloodshed. You know, over the past few days, we have had the Feast of St. Paul and the Feast of St. Timothy and Titus, and then the Sunday readings, we have lost part of the story. David is king in Israel, and, the, you know, I'll try to be oblique for younger and more sensitive uh, listeners, but there's no way. I remember my mother called me, bolt out of the blue, uh, once, and she was decided in her old age to read the Bible cover to cover. I mean, a very godly woman, but she'd never read the Bible all the way through. Read the Bible, but never all the way through. She's going to read it cover to cover. She got to the story about Lot and his daughters, which is quite a racy story. And she called me and said, Richard, do you know what's in this book? And I said, yes, Mother, I, I've read it. This story is, is I, I keep telling you that First and Second Samuel, the story is utterly amazing. Um, it's, it's worth a read all the way through. Um, this is the whole book, but this is an amazing story. And remember, this is happening, you know, 950 years before, before Christ. It's a, 
It's, it, but it's an amazing, amazing story. Well, David, David is king. He builds his palace in Jerusalem. One night he's walking on the, on the parapet of the, of his, of his palace and he looks down into the valley and there he sees in a courtyard, uh, essentially of his neighbor's house, he sees a beautiful woman bathing in what she thought was privacy. So he sends some of his soldiers down to say to this young woman, His Majesty would like a few minutes of your time. And then he takes a few minutes of her time and sends her home. Uh, I won't go into any more detail than that. Uh, read the book. Well, she sends word back in a little while to David. We got problems. I'm pregnant. And my husband, Uriah, is off fighting with your soldiers in the in the battlefront. Um, he has adopted the religion of Israel, and he's fighting nobly among uh, the, the soldiers of King David. Well, King David has an idea. He calls Uriah back in to make a, uh, a report on how the battle's going. And Uriah comes and reports. David says, go home, see your wife. And he says, oh, I couldn't. I couldn't go sleep in my own bed when my men are sleeping in the trenches. And David, I think this happens twice. He has a great meal for Uriah and um, gets him rip-roaring drunk and says, go home, see your wife. And Uriah ends up sleeping in the guardhouse of the palace. Next night, I think he does it a second time, if I recall the story, um, gets Uriah roaring drunk, go home. Uriah won't go home. He is too noble a man. So the king in the morning, I imagine Uriah had a colossal hangover. Um, he calls Uriah in and says, uh, here, take this message to your general. He gives him a sealed scroll. So Uriah, the faithful soldier, goes back to the battlefront, hands the scroll to the general. The general reads it, and it says, put this man in the front line of battle, and when the fighting is at its worst, pull back and allow him to be killed. And so it happens. Word comes back that Uriah is dead at the battlefront. And David nobly takes Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, into his harem uh, to take care of her, to provide for the the wife of this valiant man. And amazingly, in eight and a half months, she has a baby. And the, a prophet comes in and says to David, there's a guy who, who had a huge flock of sheep, and his neighbor had a little lamb that was the only lamb he had, and the neighbor took that lamb, slaughtered it, and fed a guest with it. David says, who's the man? He deserves death. I'll get... You're the man. You had a harem, and you... I'm going to say this obliquely, took this woman against her will. Then you had her husband killed, and then you tried to cover it up. And then David said, uh, um, uh, uh, instead of take this prophet out and have him shot, how dare he? What David did was say, you're right. And he wrote Psalm 51. In your mercy, have mercy on me, O Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. When you pray that psalm, you're praying David's repentance over his sin with Bathsheba. Now, David, let us look at his career. Oh, in, in his, this, this revolt of Absalom, um, uh, Absalom was David's favorite son. And, uh, um, the prophet had said, God isn't going to take his favor from you or your family, but the sword shall never depart from you 
the sword shall never depart from you and your family, and it never did and never has, as we see looking at the headlines today. So uh, David's favorite son, Absalom, who was his heir, who was just this gorgeous, heroic, you know, kind of, you know, the, the guy who's the superhero, he's getting tired waiting for his father to die so he can be king. And so he has a revolution, declares himself king, and he takes all of the women. I, uh, I think this is in the story. I, well, he let me let me back up. Well, yeah, let me look at this. Let me look at this. Just so I'm not making this up. Um, let's see here. Okay, I. Well, I don't want to go. I, if, I don't. I don't need to go into that. Well, he he, as as I recall this, he. Uh, uh, defies, uh, he, I think he, uh, there might have been another son who did this, uh, defiles the, the uh, David's harem, but we don't need to go into that. But Absalom wants his own father dead, and his father loves Absalom to, just totally. Well, remember I told you a while ago that David wanted to move the ark into Jerusalem, and um, it had been recovered from the Philistines who had who had taken it in battle, and uh, uh, there was a soldier uh, who saw the ark tipping off the cart on which it was. He went to steady it and dropped dead, and that seems like a terrible thing. You know, God's just trying, or this guy's just trying to do a good thing, and God strikes him dead. Remember, I reminded you that that, um, or I, I told you my theory that. David was using the ark for political gain. And God struck this soldier to remind David that kings come from the tribe of Judah, and you're not a priest, you're not a priest king, you're not a semi-divine king, you're not a god. Don't mix the priesthood and the monarchy. Don't use the ark of the covenant for your own political or personal gain. And David got the message. He left it in the house of, I believe it was Obed-Edom. And then when God prospered, Obed-Edom, David knew it was okay to bring the ark up to Jerusalem. Well, David is fleeing Jerusalem from the, 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 the partisans of his son Absalom. And Zadok the priest is bringing the ark along. And David says, no, take the ark back. Take it back. Take it back to Jerusalem. I've learned my lesson. You know, if God favors me, I'll, 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 I'll see it again. But I'm not going to make that mistake. And David flees. And Shimei is throwing stones at David and cursing him. And David's officers say, Let's, let us kill that guy. And David says, no, maybe he's right. Maybe I, maybe he's right. Let God take care of it. David was a man after God's own heart. Saul said when he was deprived from the crown, said, "Don't tell the people. About it. Don't tell the men about it." He wanted to. He wanted to just avoid it. Whereas David said, "I'm a sinner." David was a man after God's own heart. He could learn. He had a teachable spirit, and he was able to repent. The person, you know, that, 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 Psalm 51, take not your Holy Spirit from me. 
David realized he had grieved the Spirit of God. Hence, he was a man after God's own heart. What do we do now? We say sin is not sin. When you say that sin is not sin, you commit the sin against the Holy Spirit. David was a man after God's own heart. He was capable of receiving the Spirit of God because he had a spirit of repentance. When he was told, you're in sin, he said, you're right, I repent. The sin against the Spirit is to say, I don't have a sin. I don't, I'm not sinning. I don't need God's forgiveness. When you do that, you put yourself beyond the grace of God. To call sin grace is the sin against the Holy Spirit. I really believe that. It is the sin of our age. God made me this way. You know, it's not wrong. You know, oh, that's just an old interpretation of Scripture. That's nonsense. Sin is sin. Human beings, we are not better than our ancestors, the Scripture says. That human beings, from the time of Adam and Eve, are fully human. And this idea that some other species is evolving is nonsense. We are human beings no less, no more than our ancestors. And sin and grace are not different than they were. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And to say that sin is grace is a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. David was a man after God's own heart because he could recognize sin in himself. And when I refuse to recognize my own sinfulness and call out for the grace of God, I put myself beyond the grace of God. Our prayer in these days should be Psalm 51. <laughs> my sin is always before me. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Well, enough said. It was long, but let's go to a break. We'll come back with a couple letters. And uh, interesting, interesting. Man after God's own heart. Oh, the phone is 888-914-9149. You can support Relevant Radio in many ways, joining a giving society, donating a vehicle that you don't need anymore, and now donating a piece of land or other real estate. Donate now at relevantradio.com slash property. I've heard there was a secret card that David played and it pleased the Lord, but you don't really care for music, do you? Goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift, the baffled king composing hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. That song is about the story. Of David and Bathsheba in large parts. It's a beautiful song, and it's a, a biblical song, but I think people are so biblically illiterate now they, they wouldn't realize it. So, there you go. Um, let us go to letters. All right, let's see where I got the letters here. I got letters. All right. Oh, and there are lots of lines open at 888-914-9149. Boy, there are lines open. 888-914-9149. All right. Uh, this is a letter from, um, let's see, from Bill. Uh, 
during your show on Monday, January 15th, you said that John the Baptist wasn't a sinner. Did you say this in error? I don't think I would say that. Or is this what the Catholic Church truly believes? Did I say that? If I did, I was in error. I don't because remember that. I don't remember that. What we believe is, or John has the title, uh, the Greeks, uh, you know, the Eastern churches, and we look at this, that John accepted Christ in his mother's womb, that he was born in that sense in a state of grace. He was not conceived in a state of grace. Uh, but but when he leapt for joy at the coming of the Lord, well, we can use evangelical uh, language. He accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. I'm sure that John the Baptist sinned and repented during his life, uh, uh, but he was not conceived immaculately as the Blessed Virgin was, but he was given a special grace to to accept Christ even in the womb. So uh, he, he leapt for joy, but that doesn't mean he was sinless. So if if I said anything else than that, I apologize, but I don't think I did. Okay, let's see here. This is from... Uh, uh, they want to be, um, okay. <laughs> this is, this is from Kelly in San Diego, Catholic Bible, Protestant Bible, who, what, when, where, and why, and how the difference? Well, that's a succinct question. The, uh, uh we have to go back to the, the fall of Constantinople around, what was that? When was the fall of Constantinople? 1054? I think that was the fall of Constantinople. Let me look it up. Constantinople. No, 1453, not 15. 1453, uh, Constantinople fell to Sultan Mehmed II of the Ottoman Empire. And a lot of, during the course of the collapse of the Byzantine Empire and the fall of Constantinople, all sorts of scholars and clergy and people came west from Constantinople bringing interesting manuscripts and old Greek uh, classics. And this created an interest in the classical world in, in late medieval Europe. And uh, as such, people like Erasmus, and who was a Catholic scholar, uh, worked on retranslating the New Testament. Well, the there was a tremendous drive to get the the, the, a better text of scripture. The Septuagint had been the Eastern, the Greek text of, of the Hebrew scriptures, and that was included in what was called the Vulgate, which was the authoritative text uh, for the Latin-speaking the church, the Catholic church in general. So people decided to retranslate and re-update things. And the problem is that before Xerox machines and printing presses, there were lots of variations in texts, usually small ones, but variations. And in the Eastern Church in Constantinople, they had something called the Textus Receptus, uh, or they had, oh, I forget what what was the manuscript in Constantinople, but it came to be called the Textus Receptus. It was the received text, and it was uh, used by people like Luther and King James and the people associated with them to translate the scriptures. And so you had that manuscript and there was a certain thought uh, people noticed that the, the, the Hebrew text that the Jews used uh, was, was missing a number of the books that were in the Septuagint. And so those books for which there was no Hebrew original 
came to be thought of as secondarily canonical or even apocryphal. They were called the Apocrypha. Whereas for 1,500 years, uh, um, all Christians had accepted the Septuagint as authoritative. That's where the difference comes from. It comes from the, the reformers looking at the text and discounting what had been regarded as inspired scripture. And it's very interesting because Jesus quotes those so-called apocryphal books. They're frequently quoted in, in the New Testament. And more than that, uh, um, Hebrew originals have been discovered or fragments of Hebrew originals have been discovered uh, in by archaeologists since then, especially in the caves of uh of the the uh, the Dead Sea area, so that's the difference. They the 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 reformers translated the text from different manuscripts than had always been used. So I, I hope that answers your question. It's a good one. All right, and I hope I'm not confusing anyone. Okay, here's another one. Let's see here. All right. Oh, this is a tough one, it, it, but it's the same idea. Uh, where do we get the saying that we proclaim during the Mass for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever? I believe we get it from a Constantinopolitan uh, uh, manuscript. It was a liturgical formula that was added into the text. So um, that's that's why it's there. Uh, the let me see. Let me let me let me let me pull this up. Uh, thine is the kingdom, the power, and the okay, okay. I'm click okay okay all right all right let's see here all right matthew 6 9 to 13 has the our father in it and um the the uh the phrase the king of the power and the glory is absent from the earliest Greek manuscripts like the Sinaiticus and the Vaticanus manuscripts, which were fourth century manuscripts. Uh, and uh, it, it um, where does it get plugged in? Let's see here. Augustine seems to suggest that it wasn't originally part of the prayer. It, it's a liturgical formula that was added to some. Uh, some manuscripts, apparently. It isn't in the earliest manuscripts. So I, I hope that answers the question. Um, there's certainly nothing wrong with saying it. And we added it not immediately onto the Our Father, but after a, a brief prayer. After the Our Father, we added it to make nice ecumenically, which was a very popular thing to do in the 60s. And, well, I think the Lord probably is pleased when we do nice things for each other that way. Again, the phones are open at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. We really are open. Call in. I'll try to stump the Reverend Know-It-All. It's As I always say, it's much easier to do than you think. Let's go back to letters. All right. Okay. This is Corey in Florida. How do I respond to people who say that religion is a crutch or faith is a crutch? Yes, they're right. It's a crutch. And if you're lame, you're going to get much farther with a crutch than without it. And believe me, you're lame. The scripture says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, this is a crutch that 
weak human beings need. What do you mean that everybody said, look at the world in which we're living. You don't think you need a crutch? The world in general needs a crutch? I need a crutch. Again, this is the sin against the spirit. As we hobble along and say, I don't need help. Oh, yes, you do. So when people say religion is a crutch, you can agree with them. And it's a crutch that has gotten me pretty far in life. Uh, and it's it's a gift from the Lord. God gave me this crutch, and I'm going to use it because I need it. That's how I would respond. Let's see here. Okay. This is from Lisa in Philadelphia. Did St. John the Baptist only meet Jesus the one time when he baptized him? How soon was that before he was beheaded? The you know, scripture isn't really clear on either point. John the Baptist seems to have been dedicated to the Lord with a Nazarite vow, which means he would have gone to the, 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 the tradition is that he went to live with a community in the Dead Sea pretty young. And Jesus went to Egypt with our Blessed Mother and St. Joseph and then went up to Galilee. So John the Baptist may not have met uh, his close relative, Jesus of Nazareth. That, that's very possible. And I suspect probable uh, until they met in the River Jordan. Um, but as to uh, how soon was their meeting in the River Jordan, uh, I would guesstimate a year, year and a half. But again, there's no way of telling the scripture, as far as I know, is is not clear on it. So I hope I hope that helps a little. Let's see here. All right, let us go to a break, and we will come back with a word of the day. Father Simon says on Relevant Radio. He didn't fall? Inconceivable. Join Father Rocky this September for a pilgrimage to Poland and Prague. You'll visit the lands of St. John Paul the Great, St. Faustina, Our Lady of Częstochowa, and the infant child of Prague. Seats are limited. Information at relevantradio.com slash Poland. That's relevantradio.com slash Poland. Wait a little longer, please, Jesus. There are so many wandering out in sin. And they need a crutch. I do. All right. Let's go to the word of the day. Well, I'm going to do two because the first word of the day, I just saw it and wondered what it was about. <laughs> it's not about much. An informant came to David with a report. That's the first line of the reading, 2 Samuel 15, 13. Well, I just wondered what what was, uh, um, uh, um, uh, an informant? Well, the word is, came to, came to David, uh, the, uh, a Magid, which means somebody who tell, told him, a teller. I suppose informant, someone gives you information, but informant sounds like someone who's a spy. And I don't know that this one uh, was a spy. Just oh, by the way, someone came to David, uh, someone, uh, uh, not quite a messenger, but a, uh, an informant, I suppose, because he informed. He, a teller came to David um, uh, to say uh, that, the hearts of Israel have gone over to Absalom. That's interesting to me because, well, I, I've got a lot of time on my hand, apparently. But more significant, let us look at the word legion. 
because this this demon is claiming to be legion and a legion was the largest uh, military unit of the Roman army and it was 4,200 foot soldiers and 300 cavalrymen and also it had uh, uh, it expanded uh, at the time of the empire by the time of Jesus it was 5,600 foot soldiers and 200 uh, um, they call them auxilia, kind of auxiliary soldiers. And then it would have thrown in a bunch of cavalry, too. So it was huge. I think that's just fascinating that uh, um, uh, um, the, the, um, that's a lot of demons in one person. How do you get that many demons? I don't know. I kind of don't want to know. All right, let's go to phone calls. <laughs> The phone is ringing. Dean from Cape Cod. Is it Cape? No, not Cape Cod. What is it? Cape Cape Coral, Florida. What can I do for you? Father, I think you're the best thing in relevant radio. I, um, oh, I don't know about I, that, <laughs> but go on. <laughs> I have a silly question. If I'm in church and I have a cold and I pop a cough drop in my mouth, does that negate me from taking the Eucharist? Not if you're doing it for medicinal purposes. No, medicine can be taken for the Eucharist. Uh, if you pop, I would certainly make sure it was out by the time you received Holy okay. Communion. I would not have a cough drop in my mouth as I received the no. Blessed Sacrament. But if you take it uh, to keep from hacking all over your neighbors in church, then it's medicinal. So no, it does not. It does not uh, break I, the fast. I got. I got there one more go. quick one, Father. Sure. When 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 Christ uh, called the twelve apostles and they just dropped their nets and followed him. Didn't they have families and people that they needed to take care of? What, what, how did that work for, for them? Yeah, but on the other hand, they had extended families, and it was a great honor to be called to by a rabbi. I mean, there would not have been this prejudice that I was abandoning my family. Also, the following of, of the rabbi would not have been, you know, that full-time a thing. There would have been seasons when they were back home. They had extended families. No one abandoned their families. And the only one that we know had a family um, was, of course, Peter, you know, Simon Barjona. And uh, um, we don't know about the marital status of the others, though it's assumed that some of them would have been married and had responsibilities. But we don't really know. Another thing to consider is it's hard for us to conceive how small the Holy Land was. Jesus did most of his work in what's called the Gospel Triangle, which was an area of, of from across the lake from uh, Capernaum to Bethsaida was maybe seven miles, I'm guesstimating. And then on land from Bethsaida to Chorazin was about uh, five miles. And then from Chorazin down the hill to Capernaum was about two miles. A tiny triangle of land that would be easy to walk in a day. So Jesus didn't uh, with, there was one point at which he seems to have left the country to spend time with his disciples. He went to Tyre and Sidon. But other than that, it was kind of a local bunch. So they would not have been completely away from their families necessarily. So I think it's it's no one neglected their families. That people were taken care of. Does that help a little? Thank you, Father. Once, as always, you are a font of information for us. I thank you and well, bless you for it. Remember my motto, what I don't know I can always make up. So there you go. That's my theory on it. There you go. 
<laughs> Thank right. you, Bottom. Good. Thanks, Dean. God bless. Let's go to Billy, who's calling in from Sacramento, California. Billy, what can I do for you? Hi, Father. Love your show. Uh, could we compare, well, not compare, but it, Uriah the Hittite, uh, is that yes. is that a type of our Lord's passion? You know, I've never thought it, of it you know, that re- way. Um, yeah, that, that he gave his life. I don't know. I, I suppose. Hmm, you know, through one I'm man's sin, to... somebody must die. Um, yeah. and then Actually, that's interesting. And... That's interesting. I've never considered it, but and, yeah. Yeah, and the, and the message that Uriah was to carry to the front lines, you know, calling for his death, you know, the troops to pull back, similar hmm. to the disciples fleeing our Lord in the garden. You know, in the heat of the battle, oh. the disciples fled. That's interesting. I'm going to have to ponder that. I feel a sermon coming on. So yeah, there, there is a sort of there is a sort of typology there that that uh, Jesus, in a sense, carried his death sentence with him in the gospel, and uh, uh, he was abandoned as was Uriah. How interesting! How yeah. Interesting. So the message that Uriah his... carried was was like our Lord's cross, in a, in a sense. Huh. You know, he so yeah. he carried well, his cross and. and yeah. Yeah, and you could also relate that to abortion. You know, oops, we got a pregnancy. Oops, somebody must die. You yeah, know what I mean? That's interesting. Yes, yes, that's interesting. I will ponder. I will ponder. we got great smart listeners at Relevant Radio. There you go. Well, well thank you, well, Billy. Father, that's interesting. I no, I, oh, you're welcome. No, I listen every day, and um, I hope to hear someday your comments on that. Well, I, I'm, I will ponder. Well, thank you, Billy, and I'm honored that you're listening. God bless. All right, let's God go you, to Father. Mark. Okay, man. God, let's go to Mark from Chicago, Chicago land, whatever that is, <laughs> the land of Chicago, <laughs> called the People's Republic of Chicago. But moving along, Mark, what can I do for you? So, hello, Father. Another question, a pondering question. Uh, when talking about Matthew twenty-three nine, you know, calling no on your father, calling yes. no on your master. Can I, you know, explaining it? Can I just say? Uh, my thing on it is, uh, you know, you have one father in heaven, you have one teacher, so make sure you remember that, because you're going to have more fathers, more teachers, but remember that one and kind ah. of start acting like it. You're all related. That's that interesting. That, uh, that is interesting that, that there'll be a lot of people who will step into that role, but you have one father. Don't forget who your real father is and your real teacher, and oh, you may have mm-hmm. sent these people along to help you. That's interesting. And that's, I'll have another thing for me to ponder. Goodness. Another pondering question. So so there's, there's a couple of U's in there. So one of the U's, I wonder if in Greek, if it's in the plural, you know, another one of those pondering things. Let's see. Let me find in Matthew, in Matthew, uh, 23, what are you asking about, about 23, nine? Yes. Oh, wait. Yes. Matthew. uh, Hmm. Call no one on earth your father, correct? Um, yes. All right. You Let's have but one here. father. I wonder if the you is plural. Hold on here. I'm getting confused by this. Okay. Let me pull this up. Now, you're looking for the, the plural or the singular. Call no man father. Okay. Let's see here. This is 23 verses 8 to 10. Okay. Yep. twenty. Okay. All right. You want to know if it's a singular or plural you. 
All right. It's a plural. Call um, call no one father. That's that's plural. And then uh, um, do not be called teacher. That's plural. And then um, uh, they seem to be plural. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Just wondering, because you know, just yeah. my take is like to always remember that the one that is our father is the one that's in heaven. Yeah. yeah they're they're and, all plural. And start well, acting I, like it. You know, so you relate it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the, the I think most of our listeners probably don't understand the difference between you plural and singular that we just speak. But most languages have a uh, a singular form of of you, which is in English, oddly enough is thou. Thou is the familiar oh. singular, and you is the plural. But we've done away with the singular. We just use the plural for singular and plural in English. But yeah, they're, they're, they're y'all. We, we substitute, we say y'all, or in Chicago, use. Use. <laughs> use, that's what we say. You know, yeah. use, use guys shouldn't call no one your father. That's the plural in Chicago. Use. <laughs> and then there's the emphatic plural, all use. And or use guys, <laughs> and the emphatic super plural all use guys. So, yes, yeah, says Chicago. We have our own dialect, don't we? There you go. Well, thanks, thanks for calling. Thank you very in. much. All right, God bless. Okay, I'll use out there. Let's go to another phone call. Let's go to James, who's calling in from Sierra Madre in California. James, Hello, what Pastor can I do Simon. for you? Yes, hey, I was. I was at church listening to a visiting priest, and he was talking yeah. about trying to marry uh, someone who's Catholic, which which I agree with. So my yeah, wife wasn't. Cool. She went to she went to church for twenty two years faithfully every week before she decided yeah. to become a Catholic after uh, six kids. Um, yes. Anyway, the priest, priest priest made us think that our marriage, because it wasn't between two Catholics kind of wasn't fully recognized. So my question is, is there something that I need to do? Do I need to go to uh, the parish where we were married and let them know that she's Catholic now? Is there anything I need to do? Or Not did I misunderstand? Or is he misunderstanding? You might have misunderstood, or the priest might have been wrong. <laughs> I am a priest, and I am often wrong. But, uh, yeah, you were you were married in, in, were you married in church in your original, uh, when you exchanged vows with your wife? Yes, I was married in, you know, the Catholic church I grew up in. And, um, did, did, you know, bingo, everything was gold. normal. Hey, you're oh, gold. Okay, I just want to make sure, because let me tell you, he put a lot of people into shock, so I tried to catch him after mass and he must have he must have had a convertible uh sports car out front because he was gone and i just wanted to see if was, was yeah, there something no, from no. him and okay no, I, I, your, I just want to yeah, make sure it just you know i want to make sure everything no, is done properly no. and, her her, so. her entry into the catholic church was recorded in the church that received her into the church and that's all that needed to happen and it did happen and uh and you can tell your wife for me that if you're not a convert, you're not a Catholic. Uh, okay. That you have to undergo okay. a conversion, whether you're a cradle Catholic or not. At some point, you must accept Christ as your Lord, and you must uh, you must get to know his his lovely wife, the Church, his bride. So yeah. uh, reassure I, her that she's probably a better Catholic yeah. than ninety percent of other Catholics. 
Well, because I got to tell you, I'm a better it. Catholic. I'm a better Catholic because of her, because I thought I, I knew it all. Hey, I went to Catholic schools all the way up through high school. I knew everything. So she came home from um, RCIA and told me uh, everything she had learned, and I found out I knew nothing. So for me, yeah, it, yeah. It, it made me start reading and everything else, and she's been a catechist teacher for 10 years now. now and Now, was know. her background evangelical Protestant? No, no, no. I, I, I just grew up regular, regular. No, her Roman background. Catholic. Her background. Oh, oh. Her she, background. She, her parents are not uh, religious in any way. So whoever mm-hmm. her, was her best friend at the time is what church she went to. That's just how she did it. So she went with their wow. family to church, and she, and she loved it. And then, you know, when I when I met her, I was very surprised. Uh, uh, I I invited her to go to church in a relatively short amount of time, which usually puts the fear of God in people. Uh, yeah. you might not hear from them again. And she said yes. And she she uh, she never missed church. She went every single week. And if there was something wow. because I do move around with my job, she went with my parents, and she continued solid through there. She's very shy, and she was nervous about going through the RCIA, RCIA program. But when you have six kids and they're getting baptized, she said, I think it's about time. So, oh, so she, know, she, she had never been baptized. She, she, she hadn't even, if she did, she didn't know. As far as she knew, she never had because she didn't start going with people till she believes yeah. around the third grade to church at all. So, wow. um, you know, we That's redid really it. That's a great and, story. So she was baptized like a Catholic. That's you know, I, I wish I knew what that priest said, but uh, you know, no. She, you need to do nothing. She is a Catholic, and you are a better Catholic for her. And as we say in Skokie, Mazel Tov. So that's great. What a that's a beautiful story. And just just tell her that that the Reverend Know It All said you're not a convert, you're not a Catholic. So she's the real okay. thing, and we're lucky to have her. And you're lucky to have I her. Know. It sounds like. Now you you, you made you. me feel so much. You made me feel feel so much better, Father Simon. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, she's she's the real McCoy. All right, God bless. <laughs> wow, that's really really a great story. Now, now the marriage became if she was unbaptized, the marriage would not have been sacramental in that sense, though it would have been valid and licit. But the minute that she was baptized, the marriage became sacramental. Uh, because we believe in the Western Church, we believe that the, the the ministers of the sacrament are the bride and groom, and so uh, that might have been what the priest was saying in an obscure way. But no, it's absolutely valid marriage, and it was sacramentalized at the moment that uh, I believe. If I'm wrong again, I would like to be in, uh, instructed on that. But that was a sacramental marriage. Speaking of of sacramental. Up comes Drew, and he's very fond of sacraments. I know that personally. 